Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the State of Play podcast, episode 56. I'm your host, Martino Puccio. Pet Barisha is not with us this week. Hopefully, he returns next time around. Uh, so it's just me and Matt Santangelo for this one. Matt, how are you doing? How was Labor Day weekend over here? I had a fantastic Labor Day weekend. Um, went for a hike, You know, got some workouts in. This is the first week back for the gym session as far as fitness goes. Um, mm-hmm. Had a chance to watch some international matches, which has been um, for Italy. It's been for the most part, you know, pretty solid. They had a good result against Bosnia, though, although I think they dominated that one. It was a one-one draw. They got a victory over Netherlands. It didn't come out. It didn't come without um, a negative or uh, without cost, of course, with Nicolò Zaniolo's injury, which we'll get into. Um, but yeah, aside from everything else, a nice little way to end up the summer season. Although the weather is still very nice, but I'm I'm ready to get back into some of these uh, these league competitions, and you know as the market heats up as well to follow on that front. Yeah, um, it's it's beautiful weather over here for um, the 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 time being, um, which is also great to see. Uh, in general, we get NFL back um, as well, but yeah, football again. Look. Nations League, it's it's so tough because this is why the season is so crazy right now. Again, continuing going into the next one, like they have to fit in these games. And we start Premier League, La Liga this weekend. I mean, Lee Woon's already been back. We just felt like the other day we just wrapped up the Champions League. So it's just full speed ahead going into this season. Um, we're going to start off with the Premier League. Everton is making some noise, man. Um, Thomas Rodriguez. I don't know if you saw the the headline Sid Lowe shared it um, on Twitter. It was like uh, the name's uh, Hamas, uh, Hamas Rodriguez. And I thought it was a cringeworthy um, uh, title for a newspaper. But nonetheless, this is an amazing coup. We always see the links every time wherever Carlo Ancelotti goes anywhere after um, Hamas was thriving at Real Madrid with him, goes to Bayern with him. Uh, before the injury last year, we thought he could have gone to Napoli, but uh, after he moved on to Everton, he's going to be signing there. Um, Alan goes there as well, former Napoli man, rejoining Carlo Ancelotti. These are two really quality players, Matt. And this really is a big boost for Everton because if they can actually get Moise Kane going, you know, try and tap into some of that potential. Rick Carlson is, is a wonderful talent and, and player as well. Hopefully he can um, – do much better. I think I, I like the way they were playing um, post uh, COVID break. I think they were much improved. But again, this is this is a huge talent boost, nonetheless, and this is something that they need if they want to try and get back into a European competition for Europa League spot because there is a lot of competition for that with Wolves. Um, you have obviously um, Arsenal, Spurs, uh, the Manchester clubs. Obviously, are going to be competing for the Champions League. But right now, Everton is making moves, and it's much much needed for them. Yeah, with Everton, I think they've been very active. Of course, you know, in addition to James uh, Rodriguez from Real Madrid, which is, I think I'm re- reading a reported 22 million pound move, which is unheard of if you consider the fact that at his peak, when he is firing on all cylinders, he is a really, really top class player. Although we've kind of seen him in and out of some of the squads he's been on previously, and then you throw in obviously Alan, who you and I are very familiar with. Uh, from his, his really successful tenure at Napoli. Uh, I can go into depth on, on the type of player he is, but I think by now, um, to the, for the most part, most people are very familiar with what he is and what he isn't. I think he's a great engine player. He's very mobile, box-to-box. He, he covers a lot of real estate. And those are, those are things that I think translate really well to the Premier League. And I think that's something that definitely Everton and Carlo Ancelotti will, will benefit from. Of course, uh, another name that just, um, you know, this morning on, on the time of recording that came through from uh, Fabrizio Romano was um, Ducore from uh, Watford. So th- they're spending quite a bit here. I think they maybe have a couple more moves in the tank. But it just goes to show you that I think that there's a lot of ambition with some of these teams on the outside looking in as far as the Europe, Europa League conversation goes. You know, you mentioned Arsenal, who have been pretty busy. You know, Ceballos, uh, Gabriel, just to name a few players. They're probably going to do much more. And then you look at Wolves, I think, you know, Silva from Porto and then Alex Telles is another one that looks like it's going to happen as well. So the, 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 the pack here, the field for these final you know, Europa League spots or these final European spots from the Premier League, it's very, very much tightly contested, or at least it's going to be a tight race for, for much of the season. So I'm really intrigued to see how 
Ancelotti is able to get these new guys integrated. And I'm excited because I think when Ancelotti took over during the season after being let go at Napoli, I think there was a really positive reaction that he got from the players. And over a full season with the full uh, preseason to kind of assess his squad, you know, get them to kind of buy into the the whole uh, vision that he has. I think that Everton are a team that can maybe make some noise and and maybe won't be so much of an afterthought um, around Merseyside. Yeah, especially with the way Liverpool's been playing um, these past few years, they um, you know they've really been uh, forgotten. I, I, they drew them in a real tough tough match as well. So we'll see what they're able to pull off. Um, and speaking of their rivals, they're still gunning for Thiago. I I think their whole policy recently, after the massive spending, and it's really interesting too because we kind of see the way the Red Sox are operating over here, and that has to do with the Fenway Sports Group. There hasn't been a lot of cash splashing around lately. And Tiago's fee isn't astronomical, right? The reported fees are around 30 million euros or pounds, uh, depending on what reports you're looking at. It, it doesn't feel like it's a must-make transfer, but I feel like if they do do this, this really catapults them again as clear favorites. Because because for me, I think they should be the favorites as long as we know that Koulibaly isn't officially done yet. And we know that Messi isn't likely to head to City as well. So, I mean, there's still question marks for me with City. In Liverpool, I'll have almost zero if Thiago arrives then, right? I mean, I think at first glance, you look at Liverpool's personnel, you look at how well-positioned they are to repeat as champions of the Premier League. But I think overall in that midfield area, Despite having Fabinho, Keita, Henderson, um, Wijnaldum looks like he's on his way to Barcelona because Coleman is kind of handpicking some of the players he wants, primarily more Dutch players. I think they are missing someone like Thiago. Not necessarily banking their their odds or their chances of repeating on strictly getting him, but I think if you could get a player in the prime of his career that's still really, really effective, in my opinion, a top five central midfielder in world football, we saw what he was able to do in the uh, Champions League final for Bayern Mm. in victory. Uh, aside from him, you know, obviously, aside from Kimmich doing really well in that match, I think Thiago was a really, really big bright spot despite the attention surrounding his future. And it just goes to show you that with Liverpool also wanting him, then there's somewhat of a little bit of an opening that may be exploited for perhaps Manchester United to get involved because I think they're looking for somewhat of that caliber as well. Although they yeah. do have Bruno Fernandes, they do have Fogba, they do have Matic, they do have some players in there. I think if you can find a way to snap up a guy like Thiago, someone of that caliber who could really elevate your midfielder for uh, elevate your midfield further, excuse me, at that fee. And especially where the ambitions being, you know, top four, you know, you know, securing titles, making deep runs in Champions League, a player like Thiago is uh, to be had for that mm. fee. You'll make some sort of accommodations as far as your the rest of your transfer uh, market is concerned. So I, I think that he's it's got to happen. I think it's been lingering around too long. I think it's obvious that Thiago wants out of Bayern Munich. The Premier League is such a suitable fit for him. I think is far as big clubs being able to offer him big wages, the big opportunity that he desires. And it would be a new adventure for him as well. And I think many Premier League fans would be excited to see him on display because we all know where he's, he's come from as Barcelona product and making his sort of rise to being amongst the best in football. I think we want to see more and we want to see him on the brightest stage, which most people deem um, to be the Premier League. So I think that's something that's going to happen very soon. And, and real quickly with Koulibaly, because I know we touched on them and I know we're trying to kind of keep this thing a little bit more watertight because we have more to discuss. I think Koulibaly to City is going to happen. I think it's just a formality. I think as far as seeing what City have done in the rest of the market, they got Aki and there, they got Ferran Torres. Um, so you could quite see that despite all the money they have spent in previous windows on defenders, they definitely want Koulibaly. And it seems as though that they're they're the front runners. They're the only team that Napoli um, see as a match, see as a fit, see as a club that can perhaps Ford. pay them what they're asking for, which is 70 to 75 million. Mm-hmm. I think it's just kind of a weird thing at this point in time because from what I gather, Napoli and City officials aren't really kind of meeting together. Or There's no direct contact the, between the two, the report Because of the Giorgino, mm-hmm. the way that kind of went down. But I think one way or the other, if a player like Koulibaly – and you and you've you know you and I have read the comments from De Laurentiis. He's, he's pretty much been very open about yeah. his future, saying, "Look, City, if they want him, they got to come pay the fee. If the good offer comes in, we'll we'll definitely sell him." So he's been very vocal about that. And I think these two players specifically. 
specifically uh, are two players that are not only very, very much class, but they're two players that can really change an entire team's season and their uh, approach towards meeting certain objectives. Yeah, and this and Koulibaly has been one of these things that I've been pushing on the pod for forever now. I know Pat and I had a little bit of a disagreement on it. He's not saying that he wouldn't fit into City. He just didn't think he was the right profile given his age and all that. And he did have one of his more poor seasons this year, but he's still on his best day, better than any center back that City has. And you know what? This club has splashed how much money on certain players that are just not that great of quality, like the amount of money they spent on – uh, John Stones. I mean, it's 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 moves like that where kind of, you kind of scratch your head, saying like, why don't they just you know give them the extra bonus money? Like, we know you're good to stay in the Champions League. You're not getting banned from that. We see all the astronomical uh, fees that they get from TV deals in the Premier League. Look, this is the move here. If they want to still compete with Liverpool and, and have a chance at that title next year, or even make a run for the Champions League, it is evident that. Koulibaly could be that player that could get them over the top because, you know, even though he's pushing 30 right now, defenders age gracefully these days. It's not like defenders are, are done the second they turn 30. We see Sergio Ramos still playing at a high level. We saw Chiellini over the weekend. Bonucci's going into his 30s as well. Um, it, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just you see it happen all the time, and it's not something relatively new too, right? Um He's physical enough for the Premier League. He offers a lot of the qualities that you would want um, in your center back. And you know what? He doesn't have an awful history of injuries, which mm-hmm. a That's good true. amount of these city center backs have and a good amount of city players. And, you know, for me right now is the difference is this. If Liverpool does not manage to get Thiago and Koulibaly goes to Manchester City, then that race is incredibly tight. Then, then it changes the complete outlook for the whole season. Because if you could somehow manage to pull this off and hope Liverpool don't manage to have this signing in the, in the past few, uh, in the final few weeks here in the transfer window, then it's a huge win for City. Then the outlook is completely changed. I think the morale is completely boosted. Mm-hmm. And they probably have to be feeling just as good about themselves heading into the season as probably a Chelsea would be. Liverpool obviously have to feel great after just, you know, they're just kind of this well-oiled machine right now. But in terms of additions heading into a season um, and how positive they've been, because they need something. They lost out on the FA Cup. The Champions League was still another failure. I think they really need this for more than just on the pitch. I think it's an off-the-pitch mentality as well. And um, I do think it gets done. You can make a case that the way – Chelsea are going they're throwing themselves in the conversation as a title contender too not saying that it's just completely down to these two routines but you could see the pack is really expanding for um, the top four and then you know it's with with a good season the way the way things go you know teams can overachieve teams can compete for a title so I, I think that's also something that they're that's that that City and Liverpool are lurking over their shoulders is that Yes, Thiago won't make or break, may not make or break their season. And as, as the same thing could be said maybe about Koulibaly at City. But when yeah. you look at and you're peering over your shoulder and you're seeing what the rest of the, the competition is doing, then you want to kind of see like, well, we need to kind of match that. We need to give something to our fans, a, a big sort of, you know what, we see what Chelsea are doing. We are aware of that. But we need to also make our certain steps and approaches towards top-class players to make sure that we stay out in front of them. And I think that's what, you're, what you would see with these two additions because Liverpool and City are a little bit more refined, a little bit more finished teams as far as the yeah. top to bottom goes. Whereas with Chelsea, obviously, with the moves they've made, they need a lot more help this year to make that next step up. But now you can see it being a top a three team race for, for the title. So I think that's something that maybe kind of plays in the mind uh, of, of you know, Liverpool and City officials as well. Yeah, and, and you know what? Just a, one quick last thought. They have a core that has won at, at the top in the Premier League, both these squads. Can't really say that for Chelsea. You've had a couple of guys that have, but, you know, Lampard needs to make that leap as a manager, and obviously the defense needs to step up. So we'll see what happens there. But we're going over to La Liga, Matt. It was the biggest story in the world, <laughs> or one of the biggest stories outside of politics and, and all that stuff. Leo Messi was going to leave Barcelona. There was facts going back and forth saying he he expressed his desire to leave the club, but then they have to go to court because Barcelona don't want to 
let him go for anything less than that 700 million euro fee. Um, and then again, you see it that he doesn't want to go to court with them. He just wanted to make this clean. He said how hard it was on his family and he's going to be staying. And this is something I discussed when I went live on Periscope on, on the state of play channel. It's Messi isn't playing for the rest of 2020 or he's staying with Barcelona because there wasn't enough time giving all the circumstances going on with COVID and, you know, the transfer market appeared only being a month that the operation of one of the greatest players of all time, leaving his boyhood club to Manchester city is just way too difficult to figure out. And especially given all the friction and look, this is still not something you want hanging over the cloud of this club. Um, he expressed that his desire was to not work with Ronald Koeman. And now you kind of see the profiles that they're going after. Why Naldum, Memphis to pie. And then when you get a Memphis to pie in there, it's kind of like, where does Dembele fit? Where does Antoine Griezmann fit? How, how is Messi going to mm-hmm. do this? We know Suarez is on the way out. Vidal's on the, on the way out as well. Rakitic is left back to Sevilla. Defensively, it's just, where are they going to go? You know, it's there's, just there's a lot of really too just, many question marks. Yeah. There's a lot of just question marks. And um, you look at their squad makeup and you're like, yeah, they got like a lot of good players in certain areas, but you have you got to get the sense that like they're missing a player or two at the back. They're missing something in the midfield. You know, they're missing. They just kind of miss that sort of like completeness. They look at them and you're like, of, of that you look at with previous Bar- uh, Barcelona sides, that you're like top to bottom. This team can beat you defensively. They know how to defend. They can obviously beat you in the midfield and an attack. They're a team that's always been amongst the best in world football. But now you look and it's the same thing with some of the targets they're making. No disrespect to Depay or Wijnaldum, but is Depay going to suddenly raise their game to the point where they're now favorites over Madrid? In my opinion, absolutely not. And the Hell same no. thing could be said about Wijnaldum. They're good players. No, no, no doubt about that. They're good players, but they're not players that if you're trying to make acquisitions that convince Messi saying, hey, look, we know things are a little bit sour between us, but we're, here's what we're trying to get. Here's how we're trying to fix things to make it better and more suitable for you so you will want to stay and be a part of this long term. That's not what I see here. And I could, I could already see this being a difficult season for Messi. Um, numbers he'll be very good. I'm not saying that, but I could also see it being one of the seasons where maybe he takes a little bit of a step back in terms of production based on the guys around him. And, and then he doesn't have his best friends where, at the club. And then it's one of those things where he maybe leaves next summer because I think it's only a matter of time. I think it's one of those things where he didn't want to maybe put Barcelona in a position to take them to court, as you mentioned, have sort of a civil war because he obviously still has that love and affection for Barcelona and the fans. But at the same time, he's very aware and and self-aware of what his position is as far as the club goes and how much he's kind of maybe not being as appreciated as he probably should or having his opinion hold uh, as much weight as it should. So it's going to be fascinating to watch how he navigates the season, how Barcelona navigate the the La Liga uh, competition as well as the Champions League. And I think it's just Madrid are just definitely going to be the favorites, but you know, you wait and Mm -hmm. see, right? Maybe Coleman gets sort of reaction out of the team and Barcelona start off really well. And maybe Messi's doing really well. The players are responding to him. It's kind of a wake up call and everyone's kind of unified, but as at face value from what I see now, it seems as though Barcelona are just, they're really not not turning the corner with some of the players, as you mentioned, that they're going after. And, and you know what? And again, it goes to that Barcelona will eventually have the money and be okay. It's not going to be the situation that Milan are in because that's what a lot of people love to draw it to. The thing is this, if Leo Messi doesn't want to stay there, um, it makes a lot of other things difficult for Anansu Fati uh, De Jong and it also in turn makes a lot of other top players throughout the world not want to go there it also means a lot of other youngsters that are starlets not wanting to go there because the environment isn't healthy and if Bartomeu isn't leaving anytime soon and I know they have the elections I mean this is just like an overall disaster and it could take years to recover especially if Messi's leaving because he made it clear even if Bartomeu's leaving he's he still wants to go so at the end of the day, it, this isn't going to be fixed over a period of time. I don't think Barcelona is going to be competing that greatly. Um, he just got back to training, so we'll even see if he's even going to be fit to go to start the season. I mean, there's just too many question marks. This could really be, you know, a potential third-place finish. I, I could see Atletico finish above them because they had a, a rejuvenated second half, and, and I think they're going to be able to figure it out. But as of right now, Barcelona struggling. Matt, 
Madrid the favorites, right? I mean, there's we saw how well they were playing post um, COVID again. Uh, we tabbed them to win the league as well. Their defense was fantastic. They're going to have to figure out the goal scoring situation. Doesn't look like anyone is going to be taking Luka Jovic. We know their financial hardships at, at the moment. They have to be dumping players. We saw Sabayos leave. Brahim Diaz left on a loan. Um, Hamas just got sold, but they still have Bale there. They still have a few other guys that are just, you know, riding on high wages that they're going to be difficult to get rid of. But again, they're still the deepest team. They're the most talented team. They're going to get a full season out of Hazard. Vinicius Juniors of the world, Rodrigo, um, all, all these guys are just uh, Fede Valverde. They're going to be so talented and so much better off than they were just a few months ago. So for, for me, it's Real Madrid's uh, title to lose. Any disagreements really quick? Nah, Madrid are the favorites um, until we see otherwise. We see uh, Barcelona have a different transfer policy. They maybe make a certain sudden splash that maybe wasn't expected. But right now, I think I also have to praise Madrid for the fact that they're selling a lot of players and they're getting some sort of fees involved that uh, really could help favor their position for a big, big coup of Kylian Mbappe next summer, which I think a lot of people are anticipating with the sort mm. of departures they've been able to um, accomplish this window. So I think Madrid, maybe they haven't made the sexy signings that they, you know, the Galactico signings, if you will, that we kind of yeah. expect them to make a team of their size and, and stature makes. But at the same time, I think they know that they're really well off in most departments. They can probably use a player here and there. And I'm not saying they're going to be quiet the rest of the way, but I think you look at the player I and mean, they got Odegaard coming back. So you can consider that yeah. an acquisition. And we all know what he was doing at Real Sociedad last year. So, you know, I think they're, they're in a position where they, they should definitely repeat as champions and be uh, once again in the conversation for, uh, for the Champions League. Yeah, um, hard to argue against that. But before we move on, we have to obviously let you guys know that we are sponsored by The Athletic. The Athletic is a subscription-based sports news site delivering in-depth sports coverage, featuring football reporters as you know and love, like David Ornstein, James Pierce, Sam Lee, and more. The Athletic is telling stories you won't find anywhere else. Use ads or cl- no ads or clickbaits, just great sports writing. For 40% off your annual subscription to the best sports writing around, go to theathletic.co.uk slash SOP. It's just uh, 249 pounds a month. Um, look, Matt, it's still, it's still the best deal out there. Absolutely. I don't even think it's comparable. Um, I, I love it all. I, I'm, it's the best during transfer season. Again, NFL football returns for all the American listeners. Um, basketball's right in the heat of the playoffs. Baseball's down there, final stretch as well. If you guys are interested in that, or if you're in Europe and you just love strictly European football, soccer, whatever the hell you want to call it, it's got the best journalists by far. It, it, out of like almost everything, like it's just quality writing. The information is fantastic. A- and anything that you could g- love from all your top leagues, La Liga, uh, the Messi saga all the way to Serie A or even the Premier League. It's just the best, and you're not going to get anything better than that. And, of course, Pet's usual question is, have you spent anything like that this month? Over to Yeah. Um, you know, real quickly on you know, the, the content, it's just it's phenomenal. I, I, I kind of will peruse Twitter you know, throughout the day, and I kind of bookmark, and my way of bookmarking tweets is just like liking them. So I could go back into the my like queue and then just read up on them later. But I have like six to seven to eight articles already from today. Um, there's some great content as well. We have like a big thread going on about like the top 40 comebacks in sports, which is a really good one. I actually kind of, uh, one of them caught my eye was the, um, the Red Sox comeback. You know, if you guys are familiar with, you know, the Red Sox in 2004, breaking the, uh, the, the, the curse of the Bambino, 86 years without a title. So like there's some really different content aside from what you and I, um, you know, me as a host, you guys as a listener are used to as far as football goes. There is a vast amount out there for you. If you do sign up with us, of course, 40% off, very cost effective, very affordable way to get your fix of football content. And I, absolutely, I, I went, you know, down the shore here in, in Jersey bought a couple drinks, uh, bought uh, some food on the weekend. So I definitely pretty much paid um, the year's subscription fee in one sitting. So (laughs) it just goes to show you that you get so much value for a small chunk, a small amount of uh, what you guys have in in, in the bank or on hand underneath your bed. So definitely go sign up for The Athletic through us. And once again, thank you to The Athletic for sponsoring not only the podcast, but also the YouTube channel, which you guys should go check out as well. 
Yep, especially if uh, you wanted to see uh, England is playing at the moment, Matt. So um, after that game, you can go watch Harry and Pet discuss um, how the lineups uh, should have been designed and see how England did compared to what Harry had down. Um, it's definitely something you guys should go take a look at. And obviously, of course, thanks to the Athletic once again, as always. Matt, we're going to be moving on to our bread and butter. Serie <sighs> Um, Look, it, it, was, it was a tough one. We'll get into it after because it's a, it's a longer um, discussion and obviously more heartbreaking for, for all parties involved. Um, it didn't even matter if you're a fan of Roma or not. But we'll start off with Luis Suarez. Probably heading to Hubert. And I got to be honest with you. I, I don't I don't like this move. I don't understand this move from Juve's perspective. Um, switching him and Higuain, I mean, Suarez is an upgrade. Don't get me wrong in that. Um, he's coming off an injury. Still doesn't look like the peak of himself. He's going to be coming on on very high wages. And this does catapult them, obviously, to being contenders for Serie A. We already knew that. But this isn't a move that screams to me saying, okay, they're going to be competing for the Champions League now because that's what their goal should be um, with Cristiano Ronaldo. I don't see him moving the needle like that. I just – I don't understand it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just – it's a head-scratcher for me. And at well, the end of the day, I understand if you get out of Suarez, you might mm-hmm. want to, but I, I don't get it. Well, I mean, I look at – I could look at it, the, the possible acquisition of Luis Suarez from two different sides or two, you know, two different lenses – um, on one end, there's a lot of people crying out for fresh blood, fresh life at Juve, and a- acquiring a 34, 35-year-old player with a little bit of an, coming off an injury um, at this point in time of his career doesn't really exactly spell new blood, fresh life, and, and uh, the, the future in, 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 within that sort of conversation. But at the same time, I think we all know what Juve's ambitions and objective or main objective has been. And I think if you look at Suarez, at least at face value, what do we know he can do? He's a phenomenal scorer. He scores big goals. Um, he, he's a player that's played at big clubs. He's won at big clubs. So he'll, he checks off all those boxes. And once again, he'll be sort of a guiding presence for some of the other players in that squad. Obviously, we know they have those sorts of players in Ronaldo, Chiellini, um, you know, Buffon, you know, so on and so forth. But I think the one issue that I may have or concern I may have with Suarez is, is he the sort of, does he have the profile or the legs in him to uh, play that sort of football that Andrea Pirlo reportedly will want to play and deploy? That is one that's based on if you lose the ball, you rush to get it back quickly. Suarez doesn't have the legs in him. I don't see the, the legs in many of the players that they have up front that they can press, they can maintain those presses, they can run in behind and make those runs. So that's kind of the one area where I'm still kind of scratching my head about. Um, but as far as the player goes, he's, he's a big profile. He's, yes, going to be earning a ton of money, but I think he's the type of profile that Juve have been looking for um, for the past handful of years, right? They've been kind of eyeing these big sort of needle-moving profiles it's on on the commercial side, yes, but also on the sporting side. Mm-hmm. You know what they did with Ronaldo. You know, the Ligt was a big one. And having that sort of appeal and that sort of uh, – you know, buzz around them when they make this sort of move that we assume they will make. I think there's a lot of benefits to that, but I think on the sporting side and on the field, I think that's probably the biggest concern that many Juventus fans have is that, yes, he's a great striker. He's got the body of work. There's no question about that. But you wonder, again, does he have the legs in him? Can he put in a full season? Can he score 20 to 25 goals? I think he probably can in that team. And I think it remains to be seen how Pirlo looks to integrate um, those sort of players, because I think you'll probably wind up seeing Ronaldo, Suarez, Dybala as the kind of the, the, the trident, the attacking trident, with Kulisevsky as that kind of wild card, like off the bench guy, will start in the midfield, he'll start as a winger, he'll start as a number 10, a playmaker sort of um, individual. So there's a lot of ways that Pirlo can go with this, but at face value, I think there's a, more, there's a balance between having a lot of good in this move and a lot of bad in this move, because you're going to be taking on heavy wages, and if you don't get the sort of performance or the ROI that you're expecting on a player when you're paying them 10 million in wages, then there's going to be more of that concern. Well, you're paying more of these older players, heavy wages. And now we can't get rid of them, which is kind of what they're dealing dealing with currently with, um, with, with Gonzalo Higuain, although we look to see um, that kind of get resolved in the next coming days. 
Yeah, um, and, and we'll see where he's headed. We're going to discuss that later on. But again, you're right, um, especially with the pressing, with the way Pirlo wants to play. It just it's really head scratching with the, with the profiles um, that Juve are going after. Again, they're still going to be really good. I think they're going to be competing for that. We obviously have to see how Pirlo's in-game tactics go, um, as you mentioned, because he's a few he's a few creative midfielders. The, the midfield is definitely upgraded from last season, in my opinion. Um, so we'll see what happens there. They're still going to have to shed some more salary. Um, I also saw today, well, yeah, well, I don't know if it wasn't that reliable reporter, so I'll actually skip that. So, um, but yeah, uh, but we got to move on here. Obviously we're both at Sudi fans. We are, um, <clears throat> just fans of talent in general on this podcast. Nicolo Zaniolo tours ACL. Um, it's in the opposite knee of, in which he tore the ACL earlier, um, this year. I mean, this is just a devastating blow to him. It's good news that he didn't re-tear the same one, but at the same time, it's just it's just disastrous for Roma um, heading into this new ownership group, into this new season right before the start. He's more than likely to miss the majority of the year. Some rumors were February. That feels awfully early to talk about returning, especially a second injury like this. <sighs> Honestly, this is just... This is just a blow to Roma. This is a blow to Italy. This is a blow to just any fan who likes to see great talents uh, get cultivated into great players. And he was more than well on his way to that. You could see this this guy was taking over matches at points, making these unbelievable runs. His finishing was fantastic. And he just saw immediately there's just some players that you watch when they go on the pitch, you're like, that guy's special. And he has that type of talent. And we're kind of worried at the point that not only is are we worried that he might not even reach that potential, are we worried that he'll even be a plus player one day that is able to, you know, just not, you know, only be one of the top players in the world, but is he going to be one of the top players for Roma? Because he is very young. He's got that on his side. He looked great coming back from the first one. But again, it is a lot to ask, especially when you get this back to back. And, you know, I just, I just hope it works out because this just sucks. Yeah, no, no, I, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of unfortunate too, because I, I recently just wrote a piece, a feature for AS Roma and pretty much highlighting his journey, right? His international journey, his club journey, um, you know, from being sort of a throw in or sort of a afterthought in that whole Raja Nyangalan um, transfer to, to enter to, you know, becoming a, or a household product, a household prospect in, in terms of uh, uh, Calcio fans, right? And I think we were starting to see him kind of get into sort of a mainstream position where, you know, the wider por- portion of Europe was starting to kind of take note of his ability, his excellence, the dynamism he has on the ball, this upright running style, six foot two, six foot three, can, can you know, beat two, three guys and then finish strongly like he did against, um, I think it was Brescia, um, on his on his way on his in one of his first few games coming back so you know to see him go down in in the game against the Netherlands uh, of course that was a game I was alluding to it off the top here a 1-0 victory over the Netherlands which Italy looked really good it was encouraging and it was exciting for me to write that piece because I do agree with you Martino he's one of those like jewel type players that I think a lot of Azzurri fans were really hopeful was going to play a huge role um, you know, heading into the Euro, but also beyond that. And with all the options that they have available to them, you wonder if Zaniolo is going to be able to kind of climb back into that conversation. I think Mancini will give him every opportunity he can because he seems like a really good kid. Humble, works very hard. If you read out what um, he's been saying in the media and sort of the comparisons being made to him, he's very humble, he's very grounded. And I think he's got the mentality and the character and the humble approach towards the game to make this, this climb back. But it will be tough, right? I think it's one thing to have the mindset and the approach and the willingness to work hard to get back. But it's another to have your physical not kind of reciprocate that sort of desire and that sort of ambition, right? So I'm hopeful that he can um, make a speedy recovery from what I was reading February, although that seems very soon, in my opinion. And I think it's always one of those things that I look at myself in comparison to other sports is how do players that are so reliant on their legs you know, turn around and, and recover from an ACL tear in five months, right? Six months. Like, to me, that seems like more of a long-term thing, like a six to eight-month thing. So I, I wonder if they're going to be a little bit more diligent and a little bit more cautious with the way he comes back. 
um, this time around versus the previous one. Although, again, you know, I think, look, who might have questioned the medical team of Rome or the medical teams of, you know, the Atsuri, who, whoever, if he's ready, they clear him, then you assume that he's ready to go. But there's something there that I'm, that I'm really kind of uh, holding out some, uh, some sort of hope that he can make his way back because it is the other leg this time. And, you know, whether or not he's able to return to the heights he was previously as mm. a player that was supposed to be very influential uh, for not only Roma, centerpiece for Roma, but also for the Italian national team. That remains to be seen. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping he comes back very soon. And, and Forza Nicolo, that's kind of the, uh, the campaign that's going around on social media. So let's hope he can make it back soon and we can see this bright prospect uh, hit the field again. Yeah, I, I hope so as well. Because, again, you, we kind of thought Italy lucked out by having him return. Same thing with Chiellini with that ACL. And now it just it's kind of looking a little bleak. We'll see what happens. Um, but, hey, the last time Roma's best player injured himself before a major tournament was 2006. So I'll just say that. I'll leave it there. Kind of keep it a class act full. Um, moving on to Ligue 1, Matt. Um, PSG just keep on getting positive tests. And this is – it's kind of quite scary to see something like this unfold because we know how long the whole entire planet has been just working together to try and just – get rid of this, be very cautious, be safe and do everything you can. And it just seems you can not only help, but feel PSG have been slightly very reckless with the way they've gone about this player. I know you want to go on vacation. Everybody's been locked in. You want to, you know, just kind of live life normally, but it hasn't gone that way that they've been able to get away with that. There's more positive tests. The season has been underway. Um, and you he, he just can't help but feel the vibes like kind of awkward around them. And it's not to say they, they, they won't do anything in terms of winning trophies, but it's just – it's not something you want to see after a Champions League final loss. It's kind of what I'm getting at, right? And it just, it just seems like PSG should just be better. And I know that sounds very simple, very pedestrian in saying that. It's, it's not amazing analysis, but it's unacceptable to me that, that they're out there – getting something like this they're exposing themselves and it's not to say other people and other clubs and other players haven't done something like that but you you would just think like like come on like we've made it this far and now you're doing something like this and it's just kind of like one step forward two steps back and it's just not something that you want to see and you just hope everyone's okay because we've seen some of the long-term effects of some of these uh or people in general that have had this virus that aren't doing too well after the fact, even though they survived it. So at the end of the day, you just, you got to hope there's no more positive tests coming from players like this or players being reckless going out and doing stuff like that, because we saw it again on international duty with Phil Foden, Mason Greenwood being reckless, bringing girls back to their hotel rooms when, when they shouldn't have had. And, you know, it's just, come on be adults you're adults now you gotta you gotta make yeah. the right decisions you gotta, you gotta set be an example smarter. too because i think the, the you know we've worked the you know the world has worked so so hard to get to a healthier position a better position uh, in terms of how the pandemic currently is um, and you know we, you know the football world has has obviously enjoyed football's return you know since may when um you know the bundesliga came back and now we have international football now we're starting to see like trickling of fans you know very small groups albeit but you're starting to see the sort of plans being made for fans to get back involved get back into the stadium which obviously will help not only the fans get that experience back that we that we love to see because you know we love having the game that we can watch on tv but we know the game is nothing without its fans or isn't nearly as as exciting or as appropriate without its fans so you feel as though that everyone's going to be all in to make this sort of effort to get back into that situation where the, you know, there's no doubt from the, the federations, there's no doubt from FIFA and UEFA to allow fans back into these stadiums, right? So, yes, I understand that a lot of these professional athletes, they, they have their private, private jets, they have their private access to certain things and certain vacation spots and so on and so forth. And I think there is definitely a balance that many of these players can have. You know, we've seen it with other players, right? They go on vacation. It's a very secluded spot. They're really more cautious while also being able to enjoy themselves. You and I could probably agree with that, right? You know, as people who go on vacation, yep. you could still enjoy yourself. But, you know, you know, social distance where you can. Wear the masks where you should be wearing them. And, and you know, the, the proper bacterial, you know, you know, 
elimination processes and so on and so forth, you feel as though that this is one of those that, you know, cases in the one with Foden and Greenwood as well, that doesn't look too well on the surface. Um, if you're making those decisions about whether or not to open the stadiums up, open the field up for uh, more play, more, you know, more uh, fans to get involved and to, for eventually to get back to a more normal position with this. So just be careful. I don't know why I understand why it's taken us this long for some of these players to, you know, still have major positive tests come back and, especially if you're if you're doing it and you're putting it on social media where you're at, which we've seen with Neymar and some of these other players, um, not just a PSG situation, it looks, it looks very bad, right? Because it looks like you're not really taking it as seriously as you should. And players, people look up to you. You're, you're athletes, you're, you're big global superstars. You got to act, you have to have that accountability. You have to set an example for everyone. And I think one of these things is, is very uh, disappointing to see on my end because I, I feel that they are capable of better and they need to be better. Yeah, uh, there's no debating that. And um, hopefully everything will be okay with all the players who have tested positive. And um, hopefully everyone remains safe as well and practices social distancing. But Matt, we're going to get into a few questions before we head on out here. Um, so this, this one's an interesting one so far. And I kind of agree where he's, where he's coming from with this. This is from Jordan, your boy, JC1. Um, he asked about the best value signing of the summer window. Um, he's not trying to limit us to just cheaper signings. It's just, you know, fee by player talent and fit. Uh, he went with Hakimi for 40 million. We all agreed, um, Pet included, that they got probably the best right wing back in the world for a fee that is just absolute steal. But um, if, if it happens, if, he, if this player plays up to his level that we all know he is capable of. I think Hamas Rodriguez over to Everton would be probably the best bang for your buck signing um, for me. And just to be a contrarian, I, I don't disagree with the Hakimi one. I think um, eventually if Sandro Tonali could live up to the, to the billing that he has, even if I am biased or not biased, I love the Gabriel signing for Arsenal as well, especially if he becomes a staple for that defense um, as a center back. Um, so, yeah, for me, I think some of, some of those moves there. And then I think Ziyech, obviously, for Chelsea. I think uh, I, I love the player. I, I love the fit. I think it'll be fantastic for Chelsea and for that fee. Uh, it was absolutely fantastic. So, who's yours? Werner comes to mind. I think, mm. yes, the fee wasn't just extremely cheap. wasn't, you know, Hamas Rodriguez money. But I think relative to um, – the sort of player that Werner is, what we have seen from him, his age, his upside, and the fact that Chelsea needed someone of his profile, for them to get him, for them to get Werner for the price they did, uh, is phenomenal value. I think he's a player that could score 20 goals this year, maybe get five to 10 assists. I think he's just that dynamic of, a, of an attacking player. So he's one that definitely springs to mind. Um, I, I think that Tonali, you know, should we, get that one done, which it looks like we're going to. Of course, I just read now the medical is going to happen tomorrow being Wednesday. That can be a great one just for the simple fact that, you know, Inter were involved with him, but you're also getting him on really favorable terms from the accounting side of things where it's not going to completely strap you down this summer to make other moves. So those are the two that come to mind. Of course, there's more. Um, I, I like the, the Patrick Schick one to Barrett Leverkusen. I think we're finally starting to see him blossom into the type of forward that he that many thought he was capable of being with that move to Roma. Obviously we saw it in spurts um, and uh, at, at Leverkusen last year. So a full season of him as a kind of a key man. Uh, I'm excited to see that, but there's, there's, there's plenty. I know Jude Bellingham is another one who's already paying big dividends for Borussia Dortmund. Hakimi, as you mentioned, is, is a great one in terms of the demand for players of his caliber, but also the fact that he's so gifted. He offers so much in the attacking areas for Conte that you just get, so much excitement if you're an Inter fan, seeing him as one of the names on your starting team sheet. So those are just a couple, but of course I'm probably missing out a few. So if you guys have any um, shots yourself, let us know at State of Play Pod on Twitter, and um, yeah, we'll we'll keep the conversation rolling on there as well. Yeah, um, definitely so many uh, great and savvy buys um, spread out over time. So yeah, if you have more, just list them. Um, this last one's from Salvatore Tuto. Tuto Calcio, um, he asks, why do teams continue to rush players back from ACL rehab six to seven months when we all know the chance of reoccurrence or an ACL injury to the opposite knee are highly probable? Um, look, 
This is, it was kind of funny because he was the one who actually retweeted um, when I replied to an IFTV post when Zaniolo came back in July. I saw that, um, yeah. On July, July 5th. And I was mm-hmm. like, this just feels like it's too soon. And he looked really good coming back. Obviously, the conditioning needed to go up, but I have friends and family members that are physiotherapists, and they always talk about, and I ask them, I'm like, we see all the time here in American sports, right, Matt? Mm -hmm. A guy gets an ACL tear, it's 12 months. They're taking the full year. They're not rushing anything back at all. Obviously, these guys are built completely different. There's the weight, the height. It it all is a different factor. Yep, the stress on the legs. And again, though, with football, soccer, we have guys that are – having multiple ACL injuries all the time, come back six to seven months in the middle of a, middle of a season, and it's just way too soon. And the reoccurrence for the injury to the other knee, the same knee, it's high all the time. Um, considering the amount that you run in football, how quick your feet move, how, how often your leg could get stuck into the ground, especially wearing certain cleats on surface. There's a lot of poor surfaces out there, especially in Italy as well. It's just... It's just not worth it. And especially with guys that have talent like this, and we've seen it as Milan fans too, Mattia Caldara tore his Achilles right after an ACL tear. Andrea Conti retore it twice after coming back in a short amount of time. It's just, it's not smart. And I think clubs have to practice a lot more safety. And I know they want to get players back on the field as soon as possible, but it is not worth it whatsoever if you rush them back so soon that you're going to be missing them for a longer period of time. I'd rather wait the 12 months as opposed to just getting them back in six to seven months. And then all of a sudden they're done again, like Zaniolo. And then you're kind of just have this bleak outlook for their future because it's just, it's really just not worth it. You're right. I, I, you know, I talked about it, you know, previously in this episode, you know, I think it's kind of strange to me to see players making such sudden quick returns um, especially in this case, right? You think, you know, when it's, when it's a tear from an ACL or, you know, something as serious as this, you, you assume that it's, again, from what we've seen, right? But maybe it's different. I, I'm not going to dispute anything like that, but because the player won't hit the pitch, he won't resume to training if he's not given the go-ahead from the medical staff. We all know that. But there's something that is to be said about players just re-aggravating these injuries very quickly because he only made, what, five, six appearances. You know, he looked very sharp in them. He looked like he was... Um, you know, running, he's doing really well. And then all of a sudden, bam, and the other one goes. So how much is that attributed to just bad luck? How much is that attributed to him being, you know, eased into the squad maybe a little bit too early and having that sort of um, wear and tear, that sort of aggressive workload work against him remains to be seen. But I don't know if this is a conversation that should be advancing, right? Is this something that I would love to get more opinion on, more information on? Um, because we see this really often, right? You know, and it's sports, sport, it's difficult to compare those, right? With NFL, you know, we see players who tear something or break an arm and then three, four weeks, they're back. And they have like this sort of huge cast on there. So sports, sport, it's very different. But a, a sport like football, like soccer, that's so reliant on the legs, because without your legs, you're not going to be able to, you can't play. You can't play to your fullest ability. So I wonder if this sort of injury or re-aggravation of the, you know, the, the ACL or one of his ACLs, you know, kind of furthers the conversation, opens the conversation up for uh, more research, more um, information, more conversation regarding how to better prevent these sort of re-aggravations and these re-injuries. Because for young players like Zaniola, who doesn't have a lot of miles on those legs, for him to be injured again. We kind of saw it a little bit with Giuseppe Rossi too, right? Player that, you know, once oh, he got yeah. injured ahead of the 2010 World Cup um, or around that time, he was never quite able to be healthy for a full season. You're constantly re-aggravating the injuries or getting re-injured. Even Marco Royce too is another one where obvious, an obvious star when he is healthy and on the field, but he can't stay healthy for an entire season. So I wonder if there's more to it than – oh, he's being rushed back. Maybe it's something that we don't quite have down yet, but I'm hopeful that Zaniolo does, does make his speedy return and it's um, not rushed back. He's not you know, thrusted into a, a pressurized situation because we all know that maybe it's one of those things where you know, the shelf life, or not the shelf life, but the time frame to come back from these injuries 
is the way it is because of the objectives and how much lies on this certain player, right? We don't get a big break typically in football like we do get in the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball where you get like two to three months off of like an off season. You typically have about a month and a half, two months at most in football. In a non, then you're in also a non having friendlies. You're also having year. international yeah. games. You're also having, you know, qualifiers. So it's a lot of wear and tear. It's a lot of games. And there's a lot that goes into this. Yeah. And um, even even stretches to Roma because it, it could be a Roma thing too because we've it's been well documented how many ACL injuries they have. But we're going to be running out of time here, Matt couple of plugs that we have to get in before we head on out here. So go ahead. Sure. Make sure you guys follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. Go check out my feature on Nico Zaniolo on my profile. I will retweet it so you guys can check that out. Follow us on all social media platforms, excluding Twitter. Of course, we're on Instagram and Facebook at the same handle, State of Play Pod. Like, subscribe, tell your friends about our podcast obviously do the same thing for us on YouTube. More content is coming. Um, of course, as Martino mentioned, England are playing at the time of recording here. We did a great video, or at least Harry and Pet did a great video on what the outlook could be for the England, uh, England's Euro 2021 starting 11. So make sure you guys go check that out. Thank you for the support. And um, yeah, we, we appreciate it. Once again, that The Athletic does back us as well. Yeah, of course. Uh, can't be understated how... Uh great it is to have them sponsoring us our our youtube channel as well follow us everywhere on social media and the race is finally over matt i have beat pet to a thousand followers i did it i did it late late last night um so i am i think i'm around like a thousand and two followers pet pet is on his way there so obviously follow pet at pet barisha i mean he's just all the work pet does in general um just the exposure he's given us for the whole podcast and everything. It really can't be understated on how great he is to have as a, as a partner. And we've all been working so hard in general towards all of this. We're almost, we're on our way to 2000 followers on, on Twitter as well. So help us get there. Maybe we'll have a giveaway for you guys. Just tune in. You guys got to follow to uh, find that out. Um, and obviously all the downloads we get week to week, we just keep growing. And it, I'm just, I'm just greatly humbled by all of it because it's just, so awesome to see a lot of people uh, support all of our work and especially thanks to Matt and Pet again from me because they've just done so much for me and they put me in a great situation and it's been a lot of fun on this podcast and we're getting ready for another season, uh, season two from me. So I'm very excited for everything. So just follow me at Martino Puccio, follow him at Pet Barisha and now you just listen to someone. Cool.